following contains spoilers and bad language, so if you haven't heard that Soylent Green is made out of people or the word fuck, well, you have now. You leave the, the widowed Pac-Man! Hello and welcome to I Thought They Smelled Bad on the Outside, a podcast that doesn't have a tagline this week. With me today are a lot more people than usual. Introduce yourselves in no particular order. Ladies I'm first. Sam. I'm always on the show. Waka waka. I'm Chrissy and I'm knitting right now. And I'm Jeff, otherwise known as Jabman025, a gunpla addict. And I'm Scott. I'm wearing pants this time. This is new. I don't know if I can podcast wearing pants. Pretty sure you can. It's not hard. Come All on, right. man up, Scott. All right, if you say so. Okay, let's just kick this straight to uh, pick of the week. Who wants to go first on that one? I'll go ahead and go first. Uh, pick of the week. I know it's not original, and I know it's not the most creative pick, but I'm going to go and say Halo Reach for Xbox 360. Just got this last week. I know it's kind of overblown, and Microsoft tends to overblow the Halo games, but this is a lot better than Halo 3. The multiplayer is spot on, and it's extremely addictive in a good way. I think the Halo fan base overblows Halo a bit, too. I think we have full vertical integration of the hype machine here. I understand. I know that Halo series gets hyped up as the greatest thing to ever hit video games, and it isn't, but in terms of, you know... Halo 1, 2, and 3 is Reach better, better than all of them? Yes, it is. So if you like the first three, buy Reach. I do hear that the pistol is closer to Halo 1's pistol, which does it please is. me. It is. Even though that pistol was broken as all hell. It's a lot easier to p- kill people with the pistol this time, which is a wor- sentence I think I have never uttered before. All right, next pick. Go ahead, Chrissy. I'll go last. Okay. Uh, right now, I'm really loving Uncharted 2, Among Thieves. I think it's an awesome game. I just started it tonight. My brother's already beaten it. So, but he's no help. I just, I, I really like that you're, you're solving puzzles, but you also get to shoot people. And shooting people is always fun. I think the ultimate puzzle is how to shoot people. Well, there's awesome parts where you have to, like, sneak around behind these museum guards, and then you got to take them out without them calling, setting off an alarm on you. That was awesome and also really frustrating because it took me, like, seven or eight tries to to do it right. Yay for arbitrary genre shifting. Don't worry. You don't have to do much more stealth stuff. I've played that game, and pretty much there's one stealth level, and the rest is all puzzles and killing people. Wicked. I'll have to play those games at some point. Yeah, I'll lend them to you, Sam. Sweet. Well, Sam, you've also promised the listeners that you'd uh, play Batman Arkham Asylum. And I will get to it at some point, when it's not $60 still. Pouty face. Are you going to go, Scott, or am I? I reserve the right to go last on everything where we go around the table for. (laughs) This is disappointing. Okay, so my pick of the week is I made Pac-Man cookies today. (laughs) And they were absolutely delicious. Hey, I don't always do cookies. I'm just saying. I I made Pac-Man cookies. Only once a week. 
<laughs> don't make cookies once a week. <laughs> Sometimes it's brownies. <laughs> and uh, so they're really awesome. I got the recipe from snackordie.com. And you can go there, and this lovely, awesome lady has all different kinds of cookies, such as, like, you can make Halo 3 Vault Boy sugar cookies, uh, Braid Waddling Head cookies, GLaDOS cookies, Earthbound Peanut Cream Cheese Bars. Like, there's a lot of really cool ideas here. Katamari Cake Balls is one I'm actually going to try. So, at some point, there will be pictures up of the Katamari Cake Balls when I get to them. I hope you're happy. I'm hungry now. So, how it goes, usually, with me. Lots and lots of cookies. It's no wonder why I'm not 300 pounds. But, uh, yeah, that's what my pick of the week is. It's not a video game. It's a video game food. <laughs> my pick is because I can't. I will never stop talking about the things from the first two episodes. An AMV by a guy on YouTube called, who goes by Herf um, called Scott Pilgrim, The Last Airbender. It's a... The first full-length Scott Pilgrim trailer synced to clips from Avatar The Last Airbender. It is very silly. And well-cut and all that fun stuff. No. It's also weird to have Azula, you know, say Mae Whitman's lines when Mae Whitman is totally Katara. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. <laughs> you punched uh, me in the, the boob! On YouTube. Yeah, YouTube's your friend. Wait a minute, I'm on YouTube. Damn it! Yeah, you're 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 like a YouTube person. You have subscribers and everything. Yeah, it just scares me every time I look at the numbers. Like that many people actually care about these videos. Wow. I have two subscribers, and I have never posted anything ever. I'm pretty sure they're spam bots, but I like <laughs> it. It makes me feel appreciated for what I do, which is nothing. Commenting on things. You care more about your Twitter followers, anyways. You, like, have a heart attack every time someone defriends you. Well, well, if it makes you feel better, Fal, you're kind of responsible for some of my videos getting subscribers with your jokes and all, so... Doesn't work, huh? Yeah. Well, I, I enjoy that I get to write jokes for someone, because most of my my one attempt at a YouTube venture just sort of ended up being a bit stillborn. I don't know if I want to talk about that. Oh, please. It sounds like fun. Okay, my plan was to do Gundam Double Zeta Abridged. Oh, dear. Because... This is going downhill already. Well, no. Any series you want to parody has to have some sort of inherent silliness or ridiculousness to it. And Double Zeta is the most off-the-wall Gundam show of all of them, really. I have two words for you. Moon Moon. Exactly. That would have been a whole, like, original Star Trek parody right there. Plus you get to have, like, Bright play the only sane man and character against all these whacked-out teenagers. Except he has I a was... chick on his head. Yeah, see, I would have, and I would have, and my little stinger for that episode would have been, like, the, the audio from that Invader Zim episode where it's like, you have head pigeons! <laughs> Oh, yeah, I totally yeah. would have been the voice of Puru, because apparently I do an amazing Puru impression. She's also a very good Haro. Uh, do I have to do my Haro impression? Yes, you and do. Yes. You can't mention right. it and not Heel do it. Over and you are required it. by law. Okay, okay, give me a minute. Haro, haro. Genki. Amuro genki. Haro, haro. That was shockingly good. Scott thinks it's really good. I'm kind of... Disturbingly good, actually. 
See, I told you. And I'm going to cut that, and I'm going to distribute that to the internet as a wave file. <laughs> it was either that, or apparently, like I said, I was going to be Puru, because when we used to play Gundam Dynasty Warriors on the Xbox, I always picked Puru, or Puru 2, depending on my mood. And she would always be like, Puru, 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 Puru! And I would always do that at Scott to distract him so I could get a couple kills. <laughs> So apparently I also do a good Puru. <laughs> Even though Puru scares the living bejesus out of me. Well, better than the person they picked to be Puru in the dub for that game. Yeah, that, that disturbed me greatly. In that. She sounded like some kind of strange little girl that had way too much sugar. Well, that was the point of Puru, but they picked someone terrible to do the voice in English. That game was just awesome for teaming her up with Domonkashu. I love Domonkashu. He's so stupid. He's Have like you the... seen this man? <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn! Looks exactly the same. Stupid character designers. Anywho, I think Pick of the Week has gone long enough. Okay, so our real topic for tonight is um, downloadable games. Just sort of going around talking about some good ones, some bad ones, some ones that need work. And maybe some implications for the game industry, because, you know, we're a bunch of amateurs on the internet, and it's our job to dispense our opinions as though they were um, very well-informed and factual. Indeed. How do you guys want to start that? Just go try this one out, it's super fun sort of discussion? Sure. Why don't we start with the good and end with the bad? Or do a vice versa. Actually, let's start with the bad and and end with the good, so there's, like, positive reinforcement for people. Okay, so who wants to talk about a really bad downloadable game? I guess I could, having just reviewed one. Okay, so all you listeners probably know that last uh, episode, Matt Clean from Lunatic Studios was on our show. Matt's an amazing guy. I respect his work. So I played his game, Affilion, the one that he pimped last week. Let's put it this way, RP Gamer's score, after I reviewed it, was a 2 out of 5. On RP Gamer's score scale, that's a negative BAD! Truthfully, the game just has a lot of interaction problems, particularly in the fact that, like, the main character, Savion, runs like he's constipated. That was the first big thing that made me kind of go, why is everything so stiff? And I think I even said this kind of like, this game is too stiff. It's also too blue. That's actually one of the biggest annoyances of the game was like everything was blue in the game so trying to figure out where you were sometimes was a little challenging because you'd be like okay there's light blue flooring here but then there's royal blue over here where am i supposed to go so that that was not so good i'm trying to think what else to say about affiliate because the reality is the game had so much potential and it's hard to find good rpgs on xbox live indie games as is, right? So this is kind of one of the only ones that's there. And, I mean, it's got a lot of promise in terms of, like, how its story is trying to function, the battle system, which is actually really good for a little indie RPG. I mean, it's turn-based, but there's a vindication system, so when you build up this break meter, the characters can launch a vindication attack. And it, it can attack several units, or you can pretty much unload the vindication on one enemy, And it uh, does massive damage. Crazy damage. But that being said, the game's 
pace and balance was really bad in spots. Like, you'd have a boss, you'd fight, and he'd be really piss easy, and then the next one you'd go to was so impossible to beat that you'd have to reload your save over and over again, and even if you ground a couple levels, you were still dying just because maybe the boss had an insta-kill hit. One of the bosses in the game, the last boss in the game, has an attack that does insta-kills. That's it. Every time your character gets hit, they instantly die. Why would you put that at the end of your game when you know that there's no way around that? The only way I got around it was because I had to babysit all my characters on the the screen, and that kind of drove me mental. I don't like babysitting characters. When I play an RPG, it's like a pet peeve of mine. So that made me a little cranky, to say the least. But it is an episodic game, so, I mean, there's potential for them to take my criticism or other people's criticisms, because they're actually very good, like, as a group of guys. They watch, like, how the criticism's been formulating around the game, and they're trying to figure out how to make it better. But when you have a really, really clunky game, it's not a fun time. That's my unfortunate bad one, but I hope that Matt and Josh, they'll bring out an even better product, because I know they can do it. I think it's just this is the first one they put out, so of course it's going to be pretty bumpy. So that's my quote-unquote bad game. <laughs> Sam, I'm sending you a clip of that audio, that whole rant, just so you can hear yourself say, um, like, and you know, 30 times in two minutes, and then (laughs) fix it next episode. It's never happening, Scott. Um, like, you know, uh, after hearing, you know, like, uh, talking you, you talking about that, you know, like, um, that game, I'm not sure I would like to, you know, um, play it, because, you know, it didn't sound, you know, like, very... Good. I'm like blushing. I'm really shy. <laughs> oh, come on. I'm just poking fun. I love you too. too. Alright. Someone else. Does, did anyone actually have any bad experiences with downloadable titles? Am I the only one here? Because that's like well, pretty much my only bad one. I'll throw out my two cents. There is a game for the PlayStation 3. It's a downloadable game called Ragdoll Kung Fu. This game attempts to be something along the lines of a Super Smash Brothers to give you these little kung fu-like action figures and these different stages to play on with different levels, just like a Super Smash Brothers game. And you run around and beat up each other, and it's kind of fun for a little while. There's just a few problems with it. One, you only get five characters to play with, and they say, well, you can make your own custom characters. Well, that's great and all, but the only parts you get to use are from those original five characters. There's only so much you can do. Second, there isn't a whole lot of moves. There's punch, there's jump, and there's kick. And that's about it. And when you're running around a little screen trying to beat up these other little action figures, sure, for the first two or three times that may be entertaining, but after a while it gets rather dull. And for the money they charged for that game, they were asking around $10. I was expecting a little bit more longevity. There's, like I said, there's just a few levels to play with, just a few characters. It's amusing for maybe a couple of rounds of playing it, but after that, you're completely done with it. I mean, it's one of the few downloadable games I have ever erased off my hard drive because I can see no point in the future me ever going back to that. It's just not interesting after you've played it twice. If they let me rent that game instead of paying 10 bucks for it, that'd be another issue. But 10 bucks for a game you're going to play twice and has zero replayability, no, no thank you. I'm with you there. I think that's one of the bigger hazards of a downloadable game. Sometimes you'll get games that, you know, sure, they're fun for one play, and after that you'll 
will never want to play him again. But you know what? That's the, the risk, right? It is you risk. look at it and you go, hmm, this looks fun, and then you spend your money on it, and then you realize, okay, maybe it's well, not look, as fun as you were hoping. Well, a lot of games will put out demos, and of course those demos, they highlight the best parts of the game, and you think, oh, man, this would be great if I go ahead and play the full game. But that's how they sucker you, and you realize, no, there's not a whole lot more than what was on the demo. <laughs> You know what, though, it would be interesting if it was possible to have, like, a uh, digital download rental service for, like, PlayStation Network or Xbox Live. I, I thought of that was interesting, but not so long ago, oh, I want to say back in April, I don't remember if it was this year or last year, we had the great PlayStation meltdown where in all oh, the yeah. PlayStation 3s, or at least the non-thin PlayStation 3s, all lost connectivity to the internet due to a glitch thanks to Leap Year. And for one day, everyone's PlayStation 3 was bricked. I was like, you know, maybe it's not such a good idea to have this kind of rental service if the entire network could collapse in on itself. Again, true enough. It's I don't know what to say on that. Okay, I'm done ranting. already have rental service. It's called Ubisoft's DRM. Boom. That was terrible. Should we have crickets chirping now? I think I'm just gonna cut that. That's <laughs> really bad. Seamus Young would have laughed. Go cry yourself in a corner now. All right, Chrissy, do you have any bad experiences with downloadable titles? But it's not that the game is bad. I'm just really frustrated with Scott Pilgrim versus the World right now. I've leveled Kim Pine up all the way she can go, and I'm still stuck in the game. I had to get my brother to play with me to beat Todd. And my brother's like, oh, I'm not playing with you anymore. I don't know what's going on in this game. And I was like, ah. Oh. Well, Todd just, is the hardest boss. Yeah, but I, I can't get through the fourth level I, without dying. And I've tried it. I keep trying it. And I can't. It's not a matter of leveling Kim up. I guess I just have to learn better skills than uh, my typical button mashing. Well, the problem with Scott Pilgrim is that leveling up only gets you new moves. You have to spend your money on the items that boost your stats to be worthwhile. This is what I'm noticing when I'm playing with Sam. Is uh, I'm playing Steven Stills and I've just cranked his defense and to the max. I think so. His he's got twice as much health as um, Ramona does just because of that. So the game's structured in a way that you really don't expect from a game with levels. Yeah, it's like trying. It doesn't make sense to me intuitively that you'd have to buy things to level up your stats where you're still leveling up. Like, it should be like you're unlocking different moves and they should have stuck to levels for your defense and your other stats. It's more it's a fun, more of a fun game if you're playing with at least another person. I'm not really having that much fun playing up by myself. I don't think I've really had a bad experience with any downloadable titles, but that's because you can usually get a trial version of it. And even if that's only, like, one level or, like, ten minutes of gameplay, that's a lot of the times that's definitely enough to make a call as to whether or not this is worth the time. Like, I just did the demo of Shank, and everyone's saying how awesome it is. And it's really well animated, and it looks like an interesting story because it's from an animation studio who do really story-focused animation but the gameplay just feels sluggish. Like, there's a definite delay in everything you do, and I just cannot stand that in the game. Yeah, I can actually talk about similar experiences uh, with Scott Pilgrim, just because in the case of Scott Pilgrim, it's not a delay issue like what you had in Shank. The hit detection's pretty poor in Scott Pilgrim, actually, in a couple places, particularly the Todd fight. 
the Todd fight, there are numerous occasions where you can hit Todd, but the game doesn't register that you've hit him. So I understand Chrissy's complete frustration with that fight, because there were numerous moments where it's like, I hit you. Why didn't it take damage? It's one of the more annoying aspects. That game, in, in comparison to Shank, just felt rushed. Whereas Shank, it was more of they focused on, from what I watched Scott play, the animation was the key focus, and the gameplay seemed very secondary. Did you just call the hit detection in Scott Pilgrim a horror or a whore? Horrible. You said horror. Whatever. Classy. Very classy. I I say a lot of horrible things. Like, a whore walks around, and she learns new anal tricks. (laughs) You didn't say that. That was Spoonie. I know. Just reminding you of filthy things I can say. Mm Mm-hmm. Classy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Classy ladies all up in here. (laughs) I am the classiest. All right. If that's all we have to say that's bad, then do you want to move on to good stuff? Who wants to talk about good stuff? There's lots of good stuff. Deathbank. Deathbank 2 has been sitting on my hard drive taunting me while I've been dragging my ass to work not playing games. I want to play it so badly. Because Deathbank 1 was silly fun. It was. The dialogue was hilarious. I spent so much time going back and talking to people now because I was like, oh, must beat this game. This is awesome. And I didn't go through all the dialogue options with people. So now going back, it's just, it's pretty fun. And I really want to get up to level 20. It's not that hard. No, I've been just going around killing the unicorns. It's pretty awesome. Unicorns do deserve death. Especially those Well, I got a good game to throw out. Um, On a system that doesn't truthfully have a lot of great downloadable titles, the Nintendo Wii, a game called Goo, G-O-O. It's a simple little puzzle game where you take little pieces of, obviously, goo and connect them together with your Wiimote to create either bridges, towers, or some kind of structure that helps you pass from point A to point B. And I can't really describe how much fun it is, although it is extremely fun every time you come to a puzzle and you have to come up with a new an inventive way of doing it. They will the game will give you hints if you get stuck, but sometimes you'll come up with structures you never thought you could even come up with or the game didn't even, you know, give you hints on, but you can still complete the prog- process. I feel bad for the PC version of Goo. That got pirated to hell and back. Indeed. I, I can't imagine playing that game with a mouse though. Seriously, that that's a game that is designed for the Wiimote. Well, the Wiimote, in a lot of ways, when I, that first came out, I thought, oh, hey, you can do point-and-click stuff with that. And I'm like, wait, I have a PC for point-and-click stuff. I'll just use that. Eh, I can I can see playing on the PC, but truthfully, I think it'll be it's more fun on the Wii. Oh. Wii! <laughs> Dumbest name for a console ever. Let me think. Jaguar! Jaguar! Not Jaguar. Jaguar sounded somewhat cool, a little corny, but commercials made it, like, awful, though. Have you ever seen, like, an Atari Jaguar commercial? They're hilarious. I I didn't say they had good advertising. I just said... No, no, but it'd be like, Jaguar! I I don't know. I'm always reminded of that. And you can't blame Atari for trying to keep in the whole small predatory wildcat theme after the links. I know. I tease. I think there were two or three never-released Atari consoles also named after cats. Yes. 
Sphinx Sam, the Atari Cougar. The choice of set, classy, sexy, older ladies everywhere. You know, one day my game is going to be made. I will not be making these statements. Oh, Sam, I think you have to tell us about this game you want to see made now. Oh, we have to hear this. This is, oh, this is Sam's game design pitch. You so, Alright, so... You know that horrible Imagine line of games for girls on the DS? Oh god, yes. Yes, yes. I had this brilliant idea. Actually, it was someone I know, he made this comment, like, you know what, we should just make start making filthy DS games. And I was like, imagine cougars? With a Z? No, and he was no. like, he was like that, that's awesome. Dude, we should make it. <laughs> and the whole ob- object of the game clearly would be to teach yourself how to be a cougar, how to go and pick up young boys like a cougar, find cougar nests, a.k.a. the cougar bars, we, we wanted to make it more action-based since, you know, those Imagine games are pretty much, here's how to put on a diaper, or here's how to, you know, pet a pony. We wanted a more action-focused, so, like, these cougars, they could be getting themselves in trouble with cops, getting into bar fights, going to new kids on the block concerts and beating the crap out of other moms. My actual mother did that once. <laughs> oh, let's <laughs> Again, Lassie. Mm-hmm. My mother took my brother to a New Kids on the Block concert, and one of the mommies decided to get up in her face because my brother wouldn't sit down. <laughs> you don't pick a fight with my mother. My mother is the scariest mother you will ever know. I have don't have a hard time believing that. <laughs> but Sam, I'm I'm very impressed with your goals for the future of today's young girls planning out their careers as cougars. It's really admirable. One day, it's it's between that and my Rick Astley game. You know, we're going to have to do a whole show about the stupid games we we try and pitch to people. Like, I still think our um, Dick Gumshoe uh, Ace Investigator game would be totally brilliant. This is true. We, we did think that of all the characters they should have done a Phoenix Wright spinoff on, it should have been Gumshoe, not Miles Edgeworth. It really should have been Gumshoe. It would have been so much fun. That or it should have been Emma Sky and it should have gave me CSI Phoenix Wright style. No, but if you had a gumshoe game, you could have level, like, part where you had to go to the grocery store and find the cheapest ramen. <laughs> be like a race. Exactly. Before his paycheck goes out. Yeah, like, instead of a life bar, Dick Gumshoe has his paycheck for this week. So every time you screw up, the prosecutors dock your pay. Yes. If you fail, you get a little screen where uh, Dick starves to death living in a box. Speaking of characters who live in... The boxes segue. Here's one of my downloadable games that I had the opportunity to try that totally ends up with characters ending up in boxes if you fail. The game is called Reciteer, an item shop's tale. It just came out at the beginning of September, and it's done by a group called... It was localized, actually, because it's actually a Japanese game by a group called Easy Game Station. It got localized by these really awesome guys named Carpe Fulgare, I was speaking with the guy who made the game, he did the localized version, and he gave me a free copy to review for RP Gamers. So of course, you know, me being nosy, I'd done an interview with them and I'd done an impression for them about Reciteer, and pretty much the game is exactly what the title says. You're a young girl whose dad decides to ditch her and become the ultimate superhero. Unfortunately, he's got a massive debt. So it just so happens that this financial group known as the Termi, they are run by fairies, come to Reset's house and tell her that her house is now collateral unless she can make 
I think it's 5,000, like, monies to rebuy her house. So rather than being a douchebag fairy, Tyr decides that she's going to help Brusset get the money to get her house back. So the whole object of the game is that you sell items to random customers in town, and you try to make as much money, and every week you have a, a goal that you have to acquire. So it's like the first week's maybe like 10000 and then the next week it could be like 30000 So you have to meet that goal every week. In between doing that, there's also a dungeon crawling portion. So Reset can hire a whole bunch of different adventurers in the town, and they all have like ridiculous quirks about them. Like, for an example, one of them uh, is a a swordsman named Louis. And uh, Louis's great because pretty much he'll come into your store and he's like, free? Any, Any item he picks up, he pretty much walks up to you and says, free? Free? Because he's like totally like a douchebag and he's so poor that he can barely buy food. So you have to kind of explain to him gently that there's no such thing as free. So every time you hire him, he always is like zero dollars. You can always hire him for free and go into a dungeon. Whereas as the game goes on, you hire, you can get some more adventurers like Charmy's a drunk. There's another one who, uh, she's an elven girl and she's like missing her twin sister and she's kind of schizophrenic. So there's a lot of characters, but the best part of this whole game is the item selling part, because you'll have little girls and old men come in and tell you what a horrible person you are because you refuse to give the uh, item at 20 or 30% lower than the base price. And they'll just come in and be like, madness, you suck. And then poor Reset's just like, I don't suck, I'm awesome. And if you fail to meet the goal, the ending scene is Reset in a box, and it says on the box, Reset's house. And then she's crying, going, I don't want to live in a box. It's a pretty awesome game. You can get it on, like, Steam and Impulse and Gamers Gate for about 20 bucks. Definitely one of the best games I've played this year. Also, in an, an update yeah. from last episode, now that I spell it right, Fulgur does translate as in Stroke, as stroke of Lightning. Stroke of Lightning, yep. Yeah. It is not Is there a stereotype the they don't use in the game? Pardon? Is there a stereotype they don't use in that game? The Western RPG stereotypes, they seem to skip, but I'm not surprised. Actually, one of the characters has it. Like, the stereotypical Western RPG dark, burly man. There's one. I just didn't get him. Uh, Yeah, but there's no crazy machinist gnomes or anything, either. There's no machinist gnomes, but there is a machinist. He also happens to be a vampire. That does not make sense. Vampire machinist, yes. Vampires to shoe technology. Except for My Chemical Romance CDs. Anyway, Scott, how about you? I'm usually sort of, whenever a game gets remade, I'm usually on the bandwagon of why even bother this this game was fine when it started or was crap when it started. We don't need a new version of it. But last year and then again this summer, we had remakes of some games that are very near and dear to me, Monkey Island 1 and 2. And... Most remakes are just for an HD upgrade and maybe some extra content. This completely rebuilt the game with voice acting, all new art, new animation. Monkey Island 2 came with uh, developer commentary, which is fun to listen to. And this is, I think they retailed at what, 800, no, 1200 Microsoft points and well worth it, even if you've played them a billion times. Getting the cast of Monkey Island 3 to come back and voice everybody was absolutely fantastic just to hear. And it's Monkey Freakin' Island. They're classics. Insult sword fighting. That's been on my... I have to buy one of these days list for some time. I just haven't got around to it, but 
I was really excited when they said Monkey Island was getting remade. I think, you know, that's one of the nicer things about downloadable games. You can get remades or updates or some older games that you no longer have or know where they are. Oh, yeah. The, the, the best thing that it adds is a hint button because some of those games, some of those puzzles were just sort of yeah, you get insane troll logic. Figure that out. Based, I, I realized the trick to it based on the developer commentary. It's that stupid douchebag thing the older kids did to you at school. The, the, the second number is always the first number of fingers they held up. Uh-huh. I guess I wasn't picked on as a child. Yeah, you were too busy kicking shins. This is true. I was a little bully. All right. How about, is there any other good recommendations at all that anybody has? Jeff, didn't you play everything from Summer of Arcade this year? <laughs> Not everything. Got Hydro Thunder and... Actually, I think that's the only game I bought this year. Last year, I bought a whole lot of their games. I'll throw out one game I bought the last year that was a whole lot of fun. A game called Splosion Man. It's a little side-scrolling game, kind of like Mario, but there's a, the only move this Splosion Man has is as he runs along, you can press a button that either makes him jump or explode, or both. And you kill your enemies that way, you run up to them, and you just explode. You can bounce off walls, you can go flying through the air, and the th- thing is chock full of bad humor, tasteless jokes, over-the-top bad antics, and it's absolutely hilarious. I won't spoil some of the boss fights for you, but the ending is truly bizarre, disturbing, and absolutely hilarious. I think I need to play this game. It sounds perfect for me. Explosions, bad jokes. How can I put this delicately? Lots and lots of dead meat. (laughs) Well, considering you said tasteless jokes, that was kind of what won me over. (laughs) That's all I had to say, huh? I'm really easy to please. <laughs> Chrissy, do you got another one? Oh, uh, yeah. Flower. When I played that at your house, I I came home and I downloaded it right away. Flower is a really fun experience. Definitely. Flower is an awesome game. The, the graphics are just so beautiful. I could, like, stare at that game for hours. And the music is amazing. And, I mean, it's a bit challenging in that you have to find the different flowers you need to be able to unlock the the ending to the level, but you can explore for so long and not get bored. And the controls on that game are so simple. There's no learning curve necessary. You pick up the controller, you've learned how to play the game. Yeah, exactly. It's a very soothing game. It's kind of like you get in a zone and you just kind of stare at the pretty colors and all the wind and the swirlies. It's just, oh, it's a fun game. I mean, I'm, I'm horrible at it. I don't know what it is about the game. Like, I can barely get through some of the levels. <laughs> I try really hard, but, I mean, I'm so used to pressing buttons on a controller, so when a game is telling me, no, no, use gentle motions, I'm like, wait, what? Motion? Challenging. It's a fun game, but it's, for me, instinctually, I just want to press buttons. Though I really love the, uh, the urban city level. That was my favorite when I played it. <laughs> You see all the city and the lightning. It's so scary. Oh, yeah. I did not like the level with all the uh, power transformers. Ah. I kept crashing into them, and I was like, crap! Crap! You were hurting your flowers. Yeah. Flowers are one of those games that's a good example of if you've been playing, you know, first-person shooters, and you're killing everything, and you're just tired of death, go play Flower. It's nice, mellow, easy and just, you know, a little fun game. It's not the most complex and convoluted thing you've ever seen, but 
It doesn't need to be. It score points for its simplicity. I'll give it that. That's. For sure. I also like really simple games, so I don't really like those complex moments of Scott. How do I do this? This is confusing. I'm scared because I do that a lot. Scam! <laughs> you're you're scared of everything that isn't turn based. That's actually a lie, considering you know I also do play action RPGs, and I do play platformers. I am not afraid of platformers. They're the best. <laughs> also Kirby. I'm not afraid of Kirby. Kirby makes everything better. Uh, I cannot Just wait saying. for the epic yarn. I know. I don't even have a Wii and I'm excited. You can come over and play it on my brother's Wii. Yay. Okay. Taking okay. that one out of context and distributing that to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, for once, a Wii joke that Sam didn't walk into. Hold on, pal. I'll give you another one to give. Kirby, the only character in the history of Nintendo that can both suck and blow at the same time. <laughs> so special. Coming back around to last year's Summer of Arcade, which I'm now declaring to be better than this year's Summer of Arcade, just for Shadow Complex, which was a really great little Metroidvania thing where you run around, you shoot guys, you explore this massive underground and, uh, military complex and try and stop the, these bad dudes from assassinating the president. Plus, it has the bonus of being based on a novel by batshit insane Orson Scott Card. I love Uncle Orson. Too bad he's crazy. He has good taste in movies, though. I know, but he doesn't like the gay, and that makes me sad. Come on, in the world of in the world of video games, batshit crazy equals good. In most cases, yeah, it's true. Except for David Jaffe, he's about. Yeah, look at David Jaffe, crazy as all hell, and he makes some great games. It's true. My favorite still crazy game of all time was Earthworm Jim, just because that really came out of left field. Another Man, one that wait. got remade, and you can download it now. Oh, we'll get to that actually in a second. Earthworm um, Jim HD. Yep, you can get Earthworm Jim HD. So everyone except me has had a second pick, so I'm going to do one more pick myself. And I'm going back to Xbox Live Indie Arcade. So there's a great game called Breath of Death 7, The Beginning. Now, if you know anything about RPGs, that title should be familiar to a lot of people because it's a parody of Breath of Fire, and the actual logo actually is a parody of Breath of Fire. So this game is a parody RPG. It takes all the nostalgia from the SNES era and pops it into this game. So you have parodies of Dragon Quest, Fantasy Star, Lufia, Earthbound, Secret of Mana, all in there. Oh, and of course... Final Fantasy. Can't forget Final Fantasy. So it's Sure turned... we can't. I'd like to. What is this series Mr. you call I love Final, Final Fantasy 3. It was the best one! He still stands by that. Beware, if you, someone hears you say that, the Final Fantasy 7 hit squad will be after you. You know, I think they're dying down. Like, after Spoonie sort of badmouthed 8 in the most epic way possible, it was sort of... It became allowed to say you didn't like the games. I'm actually one of the people who is in the club that doesn't really care for Final Fantasy games. I get in trouble because I tell people my favorite is Tactics. And 6. I love 6. That's my other favorite. Other than that, don't really care for the other Final Fantasy games. Also, don't ever get me talking about Final Fantasies 7 and 8 in particular, because I can go on a really nasty rant about why I hate the women in those games. Like a lot. And that's going to be episode 12 of this show, so uh, <laughs> keep keep subscribing, folks. It's either that or go to RPGamer.com and go listen to RPG Backtrack. There's an episode for Final Fantasy VII 
and Final Fantasy VIII, where I do my batshit rant. Great. Just give me more show notes to do. Thank you so much. I love you, too. But, uh, yeah, Breath of Death is a great little parody game. It only costs a dollar. So if you like RPGs and you like, you know, your classic games kind of fused in, like, one of the best moments is a boss that you fight, and he's called I Am Error, named after, like, the Legend of Zelda 2. And there's also, um, like, the opening sequence of the game is a parody of Fantasy Star 4, where everybody's out on the cliff, and they're looking out, and they're trying to explain this epic story. What I kind of love is that the main character is a silent protagonist. He's also a skeleton man. The whole story is like that it's an apocalyptic world where zombies and stuff have taken over the world. And the main character, he's a skeleton knight who doesn't speak, but you get to read his thought process. And he says some of the most hilarious things, but, you know, obviously no one can hear him say it. I'm trying to think what was one of the lines that was so good. Let me find it for a second. Just to continue, he's greeted by, like, three other party members. Lita, a crazy vampire cat girl techie thing. I can't remember the other two characters' names. Uh, Sarah, who is, like, a crazy historian who can read the thoughts of the main character. And she's batshit. She sings the poke rap in one particular scene because she wants to be the very best that no one ever was. And then she sings the song and then gets hit by something. It's just a really silly game. The best quote of the whole thing, though, is definitely where the Skeleton Knight says, and I quote, because I'm slow at this whole internet thing. Da 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 da. One minute, one minute. Stalling, stalling. 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 It says, everyone knows that a true hero never speaks. His silence becomes his strength and his shield. I love that quote because it's the main character and he doesn't talk, and instead he just makes snide comments behind the other characters' backs. So, Breath of Death 7, pretty awesome. It's a dollar. Go buy it. Moving on! <laughs> I'll give you credit, Sam. You're coming up with the most obscure titles I've never heard of. Well done. I play a lot of weird stuff. I don't know, Sam. You're like a video game hipster. Oh, don't call me that. No, if she was a real hipster, she'd only play indie PC games and stuff that's 15 years old. This is true. I don't fall into that category. Speaking of gaming hipsterism, at some point I will have to tell the story of how I got rid of the Super Munchkin tell- Tells You All About His D&D Character Guy by uh, being a gaming hipster at him. Here's the easy way to tell if you are a gaming hipster. Uh, Sam, do you own any piece of tie-dye clothing? No. Do you own sunglasses that are at least one inch around? Yes. Okay, have you ever played a video game wearing said sunglasses? No. Okay, you are not a gaming hipster, you're just a nerd. I'm very pretty. (laughs) Okay, a very pretty nerd, but a nerd nonetheless. Anyways, so with downloadable games being the new thing that's really cool and everything, PlayStation Network and Xbox Live we all have their own retro lines as well. What are some of your favorite classic retro games that got re-released that you've, you've downloaded again because either you don't have it anymore or you never got the chance to play it for each one of you? Pick one that I am not starting this time. I already gave you two Monkey Islands. What more could you ever need in retro gaming? Earthworm Jim, which is pretty awesome, and Tommy Talrico is my hero. Hey, Sam. There's a three-headed monkey behind you. I'm not falling for that one again, Fell. There's an evil monkey in my closet. That makes any difference. Not the monkey. Not the monkey. Does Chrissy have one? You know I have one. Aw, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, original PS game, Sukaden. I borrowed the disc from Sam because she's actually one of the few that has the game. 
and I love the game. And I was actually at one point contemplating spending over a hundred bucks to get my own copy of it. And then one day the PlayStation Network was like, no, we will be awesome and have the game available for you to download. And it was a great day. So I've got game saves right before Odessa dies. So I could be like, oh, shoot, spoiler. It's okay. It's all good. The game is like almost 12 years old. It's okay. Also, okay. every episode is prefaced by me warning people about my bad language and spoilers. Okay. And also, it's a good deal, Chris. You got it for what? Was it six bucks or something? Yeah, it was like six or seven ninety nine. It was awesome. And you can also play it on your PSP if you have. Yeah, I gotta I'm... get one of those so I can get another downloadable game. Which one is ca- that? No wait, no, I take that back. Wait, no, I can buy the re-released uh, Valkyrie Profile. Yes, another game that costs like one hundred and fifty dollars if you buy the original, or forty dollars if you buy the PSP version. Yeah, you're not winning out on that one either way. Square Enix has Square Enix tax on all their games, so you're usually paying at least $10 more than you need to be on half of their titles. Yeah, but I'd rather pay 40 bucks than, like, 150 That is very true. I would not want to have to pay that price ever, and I didn't for my copy of Valkyrie Profile, thankfully, but I was young and my mom was very nice to me. But tell people what Suikoden is, actually, because, you know what, I don't think a lot of people know that series in particular. It's a very small fandom for the most part. Like, what is the object? The object? Wow. It's, well, it's a JRPG, and you are a silent hero. And you start out, and your dad, General McDole, is all like, I have to go off and be a general and be awesome. T.O., you, no, well, T.O.'s the general. He goes, kid, you be, behave, and Gremio will look after you. And then you end up, getting caught up in this whole thing where you find out the empire and especially the emperor is corrupt and you end up fighting with the liberation army and then leading the liberation army and you're trying to get rid of this evil emperor and this, there's this magician who has control of all the the generals and is making them do things that they normally wouldn't do and you have to recruit a hundred and something characters Eight. to get the good ending. Yeah, 108 stars of Destiny. And some of the characters are easy to recruit. Others are pains in the asses. And, like, some of them are completely useless. But unless you get all 108, then you can't get the good ending for the game. That's a really crappy explanation of a really awesome game. It's all good. I've played that game so many times. It's one of my favorite. One of my favorite characters is totally a general who touts himself in pink. Lots and lots of pink. Oh, he also yeah. does a really horrendous thing in the game where he uh, kills Gremio with poisonous flowers. Totally has you no say- idea he does it. And then he's like, oh, oh, well. You say it's horrendous. I hated Gremio. I was like, I yeah, no more Gremio. Again, you know, it's to each their own on Gremio. I mean, he has a crazy fan base also with the Yahweh fangirls. So. Yeah, they're all coming after me after this gets posted. Oh, it's all good. All good. I mean, that game. They, had, they like, can join the Final Fantasy VII hit squad and the population of Sweden in uh, people that hate us. Wicked. Oh, all right, Jeff. How about you? Well, the only game I can really think of that I really enjoyed getting my hands on again was Sonic the Hedgehog Three, which was and Sonic and Knuckles, which was re-released on both the PlayStation Three and the Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty. 
being an old school Sega Genesis fan of the old Sonic the Hedgehog games, I was really excited to get my hands on again because my Sega Genesis is long since gone. I haven't had a chance to play those games in a long time, and I always loved them. And I was really excited by the recent news that they're going to do a Sonic the Hedgehog 4, and they're going to take it back to the old 2D side-scrolling, you know, running across the screen goodness that was the old Sonic games because Sonic Adventure was okay. Sonic Adventure 2, a little less than okay. Things started getting really bad when we started talking about Shadow the Hedgehog, and from there on out, the original, the Sonic the Hedgehog that came out for the Xbox 360 was god-awful. As an old-school Sonic fan, it really, really was tough to deal with. I should actually crunch the math. Just compare Metacritic scores to the number of new secondary characters introduced by each Sonic game and see what the exact relationship between those two numbers is. Because I'm betting that there's a significant drop on the score list for every time they add some new stupid alligator or parrot or something that no one cares about to the cast. Yes, there was a game I bought called Sonic Heroes. Oh, sweet lord, never play that game. Do not buy this game. Do not rent this game. If you come into contact with Sonic Heroes, set it on fire. It is I'm that bad. Now. Or put it in the microwave so it does that arc thing that happened on Mythbusters. Or that. That's fun. But I always like playing with fire, so, you know. I'm not allowed to do that since uh, the arson charge. See what I put up with. What, my bail jokes about my career as a criminal? The things I've learned on this podcast, I swear. <laughs> you know, I, I love Sonic games. Like, as soon as I got my PlayStation 3, I went fishing for a copy of Sonic's Ultimate Genesis Collection. Just so I could get my hands on the really old Sonic games. Especially because it also had Sonic Pinball, and I love that game. The, the Spinball game, but it really is just Sonic Pinball. But I really liked that game. That one was really fun. And Streets of Rage. And Streets of Rage. I love Streets of Rage. I'm really hoping that... I have, I'm an old Dreamcast owner, too, and I really hope they're talking about bringing some old Dreamcast games back. Didn't they put Sonic Adventure up on uh, Xbox Sonic Adventure. Yeah, Sonic Adventure's out, but that's the only one so far. The day okay. Jet Set Radio comes out, that's I will have it on my console. I love Jet Set Radio. I do, too. That was one of the few games I had when I had a Dreamcast, and then my brother was like, oh, this console sucks now. I don't want it anymore. And for some reason, we found a, a copy of Ready to Rumble in the basement when we were cleaning it out the other couple weeks ago. So I'm going to pawn that because I don't have an excuse to keep my Dreamcast anymore. Mm. I had nothing on it to begin with. Also, most because Skies of Arcadia was so expensive. That was the only game I wanted. I was at a, sto- I was at a used game store yesterday, and I saw an exceedingly rare Dreamcast game that I wish I still had my Dreamcast played on, The Record of the Lotus War, the British release. Oh, I remember that. I was like, oh, if I had my Dreamcast, I'd buy that in a heartbeat. He only wanted $20 for it, but with no console, it doesn't do me much good. Well, aren't they – they're making new Dreamcasts now. Really? I hadn't heard that. Yeah, there's some company in Brazil that sort of bought whatever rights they needed to – continue to sort of build Dreamcasts and sell them to people because there are companies that still make Dreamcast games in South America. Really? Yeah. It's sort of like the Neo Geo. It never really died down there. Really? I'll have to investigate that further. See, my hope is one day they'll start finding a way to emulate like Sega CD and Sega Saturn games. There's a, like, I never owned either one of those, 
but there's a bunch of games on those systems that I would love to try out if an emulation were possible. The, those consoles were really expensive, and when they came out, it was kind of like, Super Nintendo is still awesome. Yeah. I don't really care for the N64. I don't know, like, I, I never was a Sony kid growing up, or not a Sony kid, I mean a Sega kid growing up, so it wasn't until, like, later on in life when I really started to study video games and stuff like that that I realized that, oh my god, the Saturn and the CD actually have really cool games, except for Night Trap, which is really, really stupid, and we should never speak of it ever again. I've made my note note to do that. I, I have a confession to make. I After buying Sonic 3, I came across a... Sonic Collection disc for the PS2, and luckily I have one of the uh, PS3s that is backward compatible. So despite already having Sonic the Hedgehog 3 on my hard drive, I went ahead and bought the disc just so I could play Sonic CD, which I never got a chance to play. I never had a Sega Saturn, but when the Sega CD came out, we rented it because my brother wanted to play the hockey games for it. See, I actually still want to try at some point the the original Lunar on the Sega CD, because the localization is apparently infinitely different than what you've seen in the previous ones that have come out. And especially in Lunar 2, apparently there's a reference to Bill Clinton, and I kind of want to see that for my own eyes. Victor Ireland was a weird man when he localized games. He liked to put really random pop culture references that had no business being in the game. He'd sporadically put them in there. So like in the uh, PlayStation version of Lunar, there's definitely a reference to Wheaties, like first screen just to give you a little history on weird things that I play. Scott, you don't have any more other ones? Or can I make the horrible squee moments of awesome? Honestly, I don't have as much gamer nostalgia because all the games of my childhood were on PC. So if I really want to play TIE Fighter, I can turn around, grab my copy of TIE Fighter, and shoot down some rebel scum. <laughs> I guess I'm the only one who hasn't gone on a old nostalgia trip other than yes i love earthworm jim one of my favorite classic games that ended up on playstation network which i still haven't downloaded yet but i will at some point i'm an rpg nut but there's one game in particular that i really liked as a kid which was pandemonium probably one of the weirdest games i'd played as a child it was also one of the most colorful games i really liked it a lot And I mean, it was worth checking out. I think it's like six bucks or something. That, and it also has on the PlayStation Network another game that I loved called Fighting Force, which was, I think, made by Eidos, I want to say. I think. I don't remember who put it out, but it was a a beat-em-up. And you are these ex-cops. Kind of ripped Streets of Rage off a lot, but it played really well. And I used to play, I had a demo for it for years, and like, I would play it like a crazy person. I never was able to get a copy of the actual game, so at some point I feel like I've got to sit down, plunk some monies in, and and get that. See, I'm not going to pimp all RPGs the whole night, even though I need to keep playing them for work. You just keep telling yourself that. Uh-huh. You can quit any time you want. Just I like will. I can quit Gunpla. <laughs> it's okay. I have my own issues, too. Is there any downloadable games people are excited for that are coming up? Or that you just haven't had time to download that you want really want to try. Well, I kind of jumped the gun on that one, but they were. I think it was originally planned to have Sonic the Hedgehog 4 as part of the Summer of Arcade, but it got pushed back. Now it's supposed to come out sometime December. Like I said, as an old school Sonic fan, I want that game. Isn't the uh, the new Sonic game supposed to be episodic? Yeah, it's going to be called Sonic the Hedgehog 4 Episode 1. How many episodes they're going to have is anyone's guess at this point. Another game that lets me make stupid sports score jokes. 
Like the Half-Life episodes. As for what I'm looking forward to, Costume Quest looks fun. Anything by Double Fine and Tim Schafer is immediately three points more awesome than anything else. I second that. That's the one I'm looking forward to. Do either of you know what Costume Quest is about? Not a clue what you're talking about, sorry. (laughs) Okay, Costume Quest has a brilliant concept. You are two kids getting ready to go out for trick-or-treating, except that whichever gender you pick, there's a little boy and a little girl, so whichever one you pick, your sibling gets kidnapped by the evil Halloween monster. So what you do is you go from house to house, you visit Halloween parties, you get candy. If you equip a different costume, when you hit a battle in the game, you transform into your costume. Like, if you play as a little boy, you can get um, a giant robot costume. And then he has giant robot abilities, like missiles and rockets and all that kind of stuff, where if you pick the little girl, for example, she has a, a unicorn costume, and she can summon herself as a unicorn. Like, it's a really crazy idea, but it sounds so fun. Like, I'm really excited for it. You had me at giant robots. Yeah, this little boy can be a giant robot. It's, like, the greatest thing ever. Even though, like, his costume for the giant robot is him, like, in cardboard boxes. As a wise man once said, you dig giant robots... I dig giant robots, we dig giant robots, and of course, chicks dig giant robots. Very true. So yeah, Costume Quest looks pretty freaking awesome, I gotta say. It's definitely one that I can't wait for. I have another one I can't wait for, but I'd rather let Chrissy go, because I want to be nice. I I was just thinking about how that that costume game sounds like an episode of Buffy. (laughs) You know the one where Xander dressed up as the army guy, and then... Yes. It launched a billion fanfics about if he dressed up as something else that turned him, turned him into some sort of possession shit. So, yeah, don't read Buffy fanfic. There's a lot of fanfic out there that... I think you can shorten oh. that to just don't read fanfic. No, see, there's a rule for pornographic fanfic that makes it a billion times more entertaining. You just read the first and last sentence of it. One of my friends back in 1997 found this fanfic, NC-17 Thundercats. And she's like, it scared me. And I was like, I bet it's still on the internet. And it is. Besides, there's fanfic out there that's so bad, it's awesome. Yeah, Scott, remember the the, uh, home improvement fanfic we accidentally found? We went looking for that. Don't (laughs) pretend we found it by accident. (laughs) We're going through all the sitcoms of the 90s trying to find the dirtiest one possible. Full House did did win. Yep. You don't want to know about that one, guys. Yeah, I really don't. No. It involves Stephanie, though. No, no, no more. Sit. TMI. That was TMI right there. Okay, I'm done. I'm a nice person. I'm stopping. Stop. Back to video games. I'm just going to block out the last two minutes of my memory, if you don't mind. (laughs) Go for it. I'm really looking forward to Death Spank 2. I haven't had a chance to download it yet. But I had so much fun with the first game. The second game looks awesome. I'm looking forward to being able to use some more modern weapons. I'm just hoping the puzzle design gets, or the quest design gets evened out a bit, because 90% of the quests were just, go to this place, kill X number of these things, which is great for a turn-your-brain-off sort of Diablo clone type game that it is. But every so often you get this one quest that is a Ron Gilbert adventure game puzzle. And then you have to shift gears, and it's very awkward. Mm -hmm. (coughs) I agree. And the there were some quests where, I mean, if I didn't use the fortune cookies, I would have had no idea what I was supposed to do. And there was no way to intuit what you should be doing without using the fortune cookies. But you know what? 
the quest you did for the tree was awesome. <laughs> that was my favorite quest. I love that. Oh, I love the, the tree. Because he is the taking tree. Yeah. I gotta play this. You guys keep selling on it, me, selling it to me like more and more every time you guys talk about it. At some what point, are, I really he, need to sit down and play it. He wears a purple thong of justice. You must play this game. Purple thong of justice. There are three words I never thought would be in the same sentence, but hey, whatever. It's a crazy and, Ron Gilbert game. I expect it, actually. Anything else at all? All right. I think I'm the only one who hasn't gone again because I was nice and let everybody else go before me. What else is Sam looking forward to? Cthulhu saves the world! <laughs> Seriously, that's the title of the game, guys. You're Cthulhu. You're out, you're out to murder the world, except somebody attempt, puts a spell on you, and the only way to make the spell broken? Cthulhu has to not kill people and or eat them, and he must save the world from becoming eternal darkness, and he must learn the life lesson of being a good tentacle man. WTF. It's a real game. It's kind of adorable looking. Really excited for it. Kind of looking forward to it, but I don't know when, unfortunately, it's coming out, so I can't really pimp and tell people, hey, it's like coming out in like October, because I don't actually know. And the second game I'm going to pimp is, did anyone here, outside of Scott, play Might and Magic Clash of Heroes on the Nintendo DS? No. Nope, never heard of that. Again, okay, well, with the obscure references. And here it's a Might and Magic title. Okay, so recommendation to both of you. You should definitely play this game. Have either of you played Puzzle Quest? No, I just play, honestly, on the DS, I play Pokemon and Phoenix Wright. Never played Puzzle Quest, no. <laughs> Again, obscure references. I'm surprised Puzzle Quest is kind of obscure, but yeah, okay, it is. In my book, it so, is. <laughs> so, Might and Magic Clash of Heroes when is a game. It's a puzzle RPG hybrid. The idea is that five different characters each has their own unique story, but the gameplay is set more like a puzzle game, so you have to match units, and each unit has a certain time length before they go to attack the enemy. I don't really know how to explain it well, so I'll let Scott do it, because he's better at explaining the game, but it's really fun, and it's definitely better than Puzzle Quest, and they're making an HD version of the game, which is supposedly coming out, it's like October or November, with better graphics, but... Yeah, Scott, explain the gameplay to people, because I really can't. Like a lot of puzzle games, it's just a match three of this color. It does borrow a bit from sort of turn-based strategy games where you'll have different unit types. You'll set, like, your archers to green or something, and then you match all your green units, and then they'll turn into a bunch of archers, and they'll attack two rounds later. And on the defensive side, you can build barricades by matching units horizontally, or you can put very strong offensive units in the way of other units and hope that they take the damage. The whole idea is to clear the enemy side of the board in at least one line so you can make so you can attack their life points directly. It's very fast. It's a lot of fun. Unlike a lot of... Well, my problem with sort of the puzzle RPG hybrid genre that's coming is that the difficulty curve is an RPG's difficulty curve, which doesn't work for a puzzle game. But because you're switching characters just as uh, your current character starts to feel old and crusty and tired and you're bored of doing the same thing over and over, you've got a new character and a whole new set of units to work with. And you'll finish the whole thing up in 12 hours, and it's a great deal of fun. I played for, like, 30 hours. I will say, Scott, that made a lot more sense than whatever the hell Sam said, because all I heard from Sam was, you have to match units. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I said I can't really explain this game very well, because 
my knowledge of strategy games is pretty bad, considering that I really like just turn-based tactical games, and this is not a turn-based tactical game. So trying to explain a strategy game is very challenging for me. Also, I am Grandmaster of Puzzle Games. I will own you a Tetris anytime. Does anyone have anything they want to say that they're looking forward to, or do we move on to pontificating broadly about our thoughts of, on the industry as a whole? Is downloadable games a good thing or a bad thing? That's- downloadable games are a good thing. Downloadable add-ons, downloadable maps, for the most part, are not. Because you get a lot of games these days where if you don't buy the game new, you have to spend money to actually p- complete the game. A good example of that is Mass Effect 2. They're gonna, EA's Only le- EA is making you do that right now. I'm, I'm sure right now. someone else will do it soon. Yes, yeah, so EA is leading the way, but they are the first and surely not the last. I can only imagine what they're going to do when Call of Duty... Uh, uh, Modern Warfare Call of Duty 5 comes out. I'm sure that'll have all sorts of rules like that. Oh, I'm sure you're going to have to buy a pass if you bought the game used for multiplayer, which is the only reason why anyone buys Call of Duty. Right. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you won't get to finish the final level or something like that. My thoughts on downloadable games is I'm going to compare it to Hollywood because in Hollywood you have the bajillion dollar blockbusters that are expected to turn around and make a whole lot of money in the summer. But there are also smaller movies. They, they do, like, these little $10 million things, or indie flicks for under a mil. And until now, gaming ha- or video games has not had a way to really distribute that. Because you have to ship so many discs to even get it out. And indie gaming on the PC scene was so distant and obscure that it was barely worth the time looking for anything. And now we have these platforms on consoles that everyone has and you can have smaller games so you can let sort of smaller developers develop build reputation learn learn a lot of the ropes without the pressure of losing a billion dollar investment on this one title you also get to see episodic titles which i don't know if that format has entirely sort of proven itself yet what with um half-life episodes taking forever to come out and uh Penny Arcade sort of getting cancelled halfway through its season, but I do think it's a good thing, and I think we'll be seeing more of it as console connectivity becomes a requirement, not just on con- uh, for everything now. Okay. Christy, what are your thoughts? I on I love, as a gamer, being able to go, you know what, I'm sick of the games that I have right now, and I just want something small and fun to play. And then I could just go on the PlayStation Network and take a look for a small downloadable game. Something that, you know, I might not be sure of, but it's, you know, eight bucks or a couple of bucks. And I'm like, be like, yeah, sure, I'll spend that and give this smaller game a chance. And to, to have that choice and not have to go for the big name games and try something different, uh, experience a different style of gameplay, because I know I play a lot of Turn, turn-based turn RPGs or I like breaking Lego bits. And, but I can see where the industry would be, could feel threatened by that because someone eventually will figure out a way to circumvent the pay structure and people will download games for free and people won't get money for them and blah, 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 blah. But really, 
I think the industry should be looking out for making the gamers, the people who actually spend money on games, happy. And part of that is a lot, having downloadable games that are engaging and interesting and available. Part of why I love the um, the Xbox Live Indie Arcade, because Xbox is actually incredibly supportive of the developers on there. You get a very limited amount of space, but the idea is price point based on the size. So the biggest, like if you have the biggest amount of space, you're paying about $5 is your price point that you have to have for the game. But in a lot of cases, you find a lot of really fun, really random little $1 games. Like one of the most popular games, which is like a big internet meme now, is totally, um, I made a game with zombies in it. That was the one I was thinking of. Like you spend a dollar on it, you get complete and utter joy of just mercilessly killing zombies. And it's great to see that Microsoft is supportive of their indie scene and that they want to see seek new talent through it. That's partially what it is as well. They get a small cut of developer makes, and there's no deadlines on any of the games, which is pretty fantastic. I mean, you can kind of work at your own pace and build the games, you know, however way you want. Like, Breath of Death, as a perfect example, was made in about three months. If you look at the quality of the game that you're getting, that's pretty impressive for three months worth of work. And same with Affilion. It's got great visuals and, and stuff, even though, like, it's not the greatest game ever. But the amount of effort that was put into it, you can see. And, I mean, again, that was made, I think, Matt said it was, like, three or four months. So, I mean, you can do it at your own pace. And there's kind of, like, a, a great creative license. You don't have to worry about answering to somebody else. I, I'm very happy that Microsoft has gone that route. That being said... I wish Sony had something like that, because I know there's a lot of people who would love to develop on the Sony consoles, but I think Sony's a little afraid of that idea. Also, Sony is incredibly unfriendly to their developers. Part of yeah. part of why Microsoft was so good out of the gate with their library was that they just handed uh, a lot of people just development toolkits for how to do this kind of lighting or this sort of effect with their hardware, whereas Sony was perfectly willing to let you figure it out on your own. Yeah, Sony's not very good with a lot of their, even their publishers. There's a lot of, like, really obscure games that will appear on PlayStation Network. For example, with the PSP, there was these games called Holy Invasion of Privacy, Batman, What Did I Do to Deserve This? They're Nipponichi games, and in Japan, they have physical copies for the games and everything. Sony told NIS America that, hey you can't sell this game in a box form because nobody's going to buy it that way because no one even knows what it is. It's a tower, like a strategy slash tower defense game. Sony pretty much said, this isn't going to sell. You have to put it on the PlayStation Network for a budget price. And actually, they did that to another one of their games recently, Cladun, this is an RPG. Same idea. They said, no box copy, has to go on PlayStation Network, has to be budget price. So it's like a $20 game, which to them is considered budget price for a PSP title. And... They don't really want to show support even for some of their niche publishers who are trying to also get other kinds of titles out there, which is really disappointing for, you know, people who love those kind of little games. Jeff, downloadable games before Sam uh, finds a soapbox. <laughs> well, I'm going to join her on the soapbox to say that I think uh, Sony is more along the lines of they want people to download the game. They don't want to have to license these games out in box form. Maybe not so much they're hammering publishers, which they might be doing, but I think it's something along the lines of when they announced the PSP Go and nobody bought it, they still tried to push it, said, no, no, this is great. See, you don't actually have to buy the discs. That way we don't actually have to spend the money to make them. You can just download them straight from the site, and we're all going to be happy. 
Because like UMDs were such a success for them. Right. And that was a you know a screaming success. But everyone everyone wants to at least to have that hard copy in their hands to have as a backup and <laughs> unseen. You alive there, Sam? I am. Sorry. I should have muted that. Anyways, I mean I don't know what it is about Sony. Sony's all about trying to push high-def quality games, and while that's all well and good, I would love to see stuff from more original talent. I think that's why Flower also impresses me, because it's a very small studio that did that particular game, and then they also made Flow, which, from what I understand, is not as good as Flower. Well, Flow is basically like an unending level, and you just keep going and going and going, whereas Flower, you had... You know, you're in this level, this is your task, this is what you have to do. You accomplish it, you get the, yay, you accomplish something, let's move on to the next level. Whereas flow, like, you grow your creature, and you get bigger and stuff, but you don't get that satisfaction of completing a task and being able to move on to a new task. The thing I like about flow is it, it was actually a uh, senior thesis for a student in a, I forget the name of his school, it's a California-based school, and it's a program designed for video game developers. And Flo was his senior thesis, and it was so good that his professor contacted Sony. He's like, hey, you got to look at this game. You might want to put it out on your network. And there's some great downloadable games that Valve is really good about just finding these weird little indie titles that end up being released for download only on PC and saying, okay, here's a budget. Go make something. And... The last time they did that, we got Portal, which was amazing. Well, I think that also has to do with they gave it to the right studio. Yeah. You, you go to that studio and say, here, go make something interesting. If you give it to the right studio, you're going to get something interesting. You know what? Without having that kind of development, there's also games like Braid, made by one man. And yeah, he's kind of a dick. But you know what? Braid itself, as much as it's a very challenging game, it's probably also one of the most beautiful games you'll see, and it's on PC, PlayStation 3, and uh, Xbox Live. I have, we bought the Xbox Live version so I could try it, and I realized that I'm terrible with anything that has timing. And while he keeps saying, no, you can rewind time to a point where you should be able to get puzzle pieces, no, a lot of those do require timing. But, uh, you know, for a one-man-made game, it's one that's actually worth checking out. And I, it was like the biggest hit. I think it was like two, three years ago. There's lots of good quality out there. I don't know much about this guy's new game. People are saying apparently it was at PAX, except nobody played it. I, I'm the soapboxer for little indie games and stuff like that. So Scott's going to keep yelling at me about it. No, you you were being all, Sony is evil and I will rant about the ills of publishers till the end of time. Yeah, but have you noticed I own a Sony console? And I still support Sony because I'm a crazy person. Just because I have friends in the, the industry who are not as happy with Sony. You know, I have to listen to their problems. And... So you're a hypocrite is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. totally. I admit cool. to it. It's I have to listen to my developer and localizer localization friends and the troubles they have with Sony. But at the same time, if this is my only way to play said game, I don't have a choice, right? Unless, like, it's a multi-platform game. And in the case of the companies that I deal with, Usually it's a Sony title, so it's not like I have an option. It's like, I understand where they're coming from at the same time. The only way I'm going to be able to play these games is if I have a Sony console, so it's like, better not bitch about it. It's the only way I was able to play a couple of, like, recent games, so. Plus, I love my PS3. Like, I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. You know, I'm a hypocrite, yes, but I love my big black box of Doom. 
there's just so much crap on it, and it's so much fun to just plow through all the content and be like, ooh, look at all this stuff. Except for Record of Agros War. i got to get rid of that piece of shit off my thing. You just That's love that George Foreman lookalike, don't you? I do. I love it. I love my piece. I have a slim one, too, so it's my baby. I have one of the big, big ones. You have a big honking one. Yeah, not the very first big honking one, but the... Next level of big honking. So there we go. Scott, is there anything else you wish to discuss, sir? No, I think uh, we're done for the night. Goodbye. Tune in next time where we will talk about something else. We never have these planned in advance, do we? I had a plan for the next one, and then my guys screwed it up. Remember, everyone, your eyes open for Imagine Cougar Town. Courtney Cox is going to sue my ass, if we call it that. Okay, we'll just call it Imagine Cougar. Is that better? Imagine Cougars with the Z. Cougars. Okay. Because poor literacy is cool. Everything with a Z is cool. Look at Dragon Ball. Well, and then there's those stupid sites that love to use, like, S for extreme. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge to the Simpsons. Oh, hey, kids, always recycle. To the extreme! Spelled with an X. Grandia Extreme is not a name for a game. I'm pulling obscure games out of my ass again, aren't I? Yes, yes you are. I'm going to cry. And on that unanimous note, goodbye. Uh, I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Intro by Sound of Ground and outro by Mount Carmel. Smells bad on the outside, released under a Creative Commons license. Visit our website at sbopodcast.blogspot.com.